This is Taekwon Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with you, Prime, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and we are just one week away from the 2018 NFL Scouting Combine. In that spirit, we kick off our 2018 Dash to the Draft series here on Sports Crunch. This weekly series will give you a look into each position group in this draft class, plus team needs on a division-by-division basis. But today, as I alluded to, we will discuss what to watch out for at the Combine. Next week, the entire NFL descends on Indianapolis along with 336 individual prospects. These prospects will undergo medical evaluations, have personal interviews with teams, and of course, participate in the proverbial underwear Olympics. And joining us today to discuss all of that is a good friend who I met down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. He is Cole Thompson of DraftWire.com. Welcome to the show, Cole. How you doing? Hey, Dave. Good to be on, man. Really nice to hear from you again. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's been a crazy couple of days in the NFL. Then again, the NFL is always one of those crazy kind of mixing, matching different things. But with the NFL Combine coming up, we are getting that much closer to seeing where teams are going, especially with free agency, especially coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to start seeing these players really start not just separating themselves in the pack of round grades, but also where they fall based off needs of teams. And I'm really excited to go into that, too. Oh, I'm really excited to get into that as well. Plus, this is a quarterback market, not just in the draft, but free agency as well. Looking at you, especially you, Kirk Cousins, uh, this is going to be one of the wildest free agency draft periods we have ever seen uh, in modern NFL history. And uh, speaking of quarterbacks, let's start our discussion on a particular quarterback, and he is Josh Rosen, because I believe the scouting combine is super crucial for him uh, on two fronts. Uh, he has two red flags. One is his medical history. He missed uh, b- about almost half of his sophomore season college due to a th- injury to his throwing shoulder, and he has extensive injury history dating back to high school. But the other th- um, big red flag about him is his character. Some people say that he's not necessarily born to be a leader. He doesn't take coaching well. He doesn't have the passion for football that is required in a franchise quarterback. And a lot of people will be uh, driven away by the fact that he's politically outspoken, and especially in these polarizing times, NFL teams want to try to stray away from the uh, uh, political polarization arena as possible. So what would you say is the bigger red flag for Josh Rosen to address in Indy, his medical history or his character personality questions? You know, the biggest thing for me, I think, is actually his medical history. I I get the whole uh, personality issues, but we've seen personality issues in the past, and sometimes it's as big as a red flag as you make it out to be. The political statement thing, that's one thing, but it's not like we're seeing him out every single night until 3 in the morning partying. Yes, there was that infamous photo of him having the hot tub in his dorm room at age 18 years old, which was nuts, but... I think with that medical history, that kind of really separates where he's going to fit in the draft. Everyone really kind of has their top two guys in Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. What that makes a Baker Mayfield, I think, right in the middle for that QB1 spot. But if he's able to show the accuracy, the poise, the power, and not just the the power alone, the touch to the ball, to get the ball deep down to his receivers. A lot of things that I've been noticing and watching film is several of these quarterbacks are have great arms, but their issue is they're not leading their receivers. The receivers are taking a step behind to catch the ball, slow down, readjust their speed, and have to work back upfield. If Rosen's able to show that he has enough touch on the ball to prove that he can get, get that 60-yard pass, which we've seen him do, 
in college, all three years that he did play, I think that is going to really solidify him as a top five pick, possibly the number one quarterback on a lot of teams' boards. And more importantly, it's going to show him that he does have all the tools you want for a leading quarterback. Now, with that being said, I don't think you want to put him in a situation where he is the face of the franchise year one. So a team like the New York Giants, which a lot of people have been mocking him to, a lot of very people I respect in this business are mocking him to the Giants, makes sense because people are still believing that Eli Manning might have a year or two left. Let him groom a little bit. Think of this a lot like a Pat Mahomes situation, but more so instead of the maturity of Pat Mahomes, it was more so Pat Mahomes learning how to take snaps under center, which is what Alex Smith has done his entire career. Going to the right team usually also plays a major factor in the success of a player early on in their career and signing those contracts deeper and deeper and deeper in the draft. I really think that Rosen is the best overall quarterback, but one, he has to go to the right situation. But if his arm is shown and the touch is there, he is going to wow scouts. No matter what his issues are politically or even, I guess, leadership skill-wise. As you can tell, Cole knows his stuff, people. You have to follow him on Twitter, at Mr. Cole Thompson, and you can find his work at thedraftwire.com these entire next uh, three months. Uh, he is a must-go-to uh, source for NFL draft information, as he just showed you right there, Cole. And another prospect I'll have my eyes on uh, next week, uh, metaphorically speaking, since I actually won't be at the Combine, is uh, Texas uh, offensive lineman Connor Williams. Uh, last August, uh, Matt Miller was hyping him out to be like the next best offensive tackle prospect since Joe Thomas. And his tape against Notre Dame in 2016 kind of sold me on it a bit. But uh, this year, he obviously struggled in the first couple games, as, uh, partly because of a new ski, but uh, I'm not the one to make excuses. Uh, but also, um, he also suffered a knee injury this year and missed the entire season. And some teams believe that his arm length is below the required threshold for what they want in a tackle. So how he measures up arm length-wise is going to be crucial for his draft stock. Uh, what do you think would be an ideal result in arm length measurement for Connor Williams? And suppose that his arm length measurement confirms the scout's worst fears. Can his other strengths overcome his that arm length, or do you think he's better off as a guard? Well, for me personally, I, I've been watching Connor Williams since he was a freshman, and I've loved this kid ever since he came into college. I understand the arm length, and usually you want that 33, 35, 36-inch arm length for your tackles to be able to extend and drive plays. And his is about a 30 of what I've been hearing from a lot of different scouts, from a lot of different measurements. It's about a 30. But when you watch the kid play, I think a lot of Taylor Luan, the way he's able to pile drive defenders into the ground, I think the best key you can think of is the West Virginia game last year when he came back. What an impressive game this guy is able to do. The power he has in his lower body allows him to make up for that less of arm Length, I guess, would be the best way to put it, to continue to hold defenders out on the outside. A team I really think that would love to have them if they're able to get in the right situation is a team like the Arizona Cardinals. I recently did a, an article for DraftWire talking about perfect fits, and I honestly think the ideal fit is a team like Arizona who could use him in multiple different schemes. If they don't think his arms are, are long enough to play that left tackle position, well, DJ Humphreys is still there, and he could still be your left tackle. With Jared Belvedere going to be now 32 this upcoming season, he has a cap, cap casualty space, so you could probably cut him. Mike Ayupati is another cap casualty space. If they don't think that he is good enough to probably keep that arm length on the outside, 
Move him inside a left guard. He is definitely a player who has all the power and drive in the lower half of his body, if he can show that he's healthy coming back from that left knee injury, to be a top 10 pick. This guy sits right now, I believe, at number nine on my big board. And the only reason he's on higher is because of that MCL, ACL injury that he did suffer this past year. That is an injury that is going to cost him probably, maybe not a first-round grade completely moving him into day two, but I do think you will see him probably fall to possibly being the second tackle taken after Orlando Brown Jr. out of Oklahoma. But this kid, if he can show that lower body strength, I have no problem playing him at left at left tackle in any offensive formation. I saw it in college. What I saw, I was impressed with. This kid is the real deal. The main thing is, for me more so, it's not the arm length. It's showing that he's able to come back from a knee injury. We've seen tackles in recent years, especially guys like Jake Long, uh, former number one overall pick from Michigan, never really healed from that lower leg injury and had to be moved inside the guard or outside a right tackle. That is more so something I'm more worried about than his actual arm length. I've seen him go against guys who have much bigger size than him, and he's able to pile drive them into the ground. Oh, wow, Cole. Thank you for that scouting report there. And uh, let me follow up a little bit. Uh, You mentioned his lower body strength can potentially uh, mask uh, his uh, subpar arm length. uh, And the test uh, in the so-called underwear Olympics that I alluded to, that will give uh, scouts a big hint about whether he has regained much of that strength since that knee injury earlier this year is the broad jump. Um, What do you think is an ideal um, result in the broad jump for him? Hopefully around nine feet would be the bet would be the best for you know for me especially. But you know, broad jump to me, that's not really what I really look for in offensive tackles. Those are more so what I look for in the skill guys positions. But I think if he's able to get into that eight, 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 nine foot range, just just come coming off it. And also the biggest thing is keeping his balance. A lot of times what people don't realize when they're doing the broad jump is how you land. If you're moving too much forward, you're you're leaning so far forward that you're going to be caught off balance when going up against a pass rusher. If you go too far back, that means you're already off balance and probably going to be able to get beat to give up a sack. So I'm really going to be more so looking for how he lands on that left knee after he actually jumps, more so than anything else. Great analysis as always, Cole. And uh, as I alluded to in the intro, you and I met just a couple weeks ago down in Mobile, Alabama at the Reese's Senior Bowl. And which studs at the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game, for that matter, will only see their stock further rise at the Combine? And on the flip side, which of those studs from the Senior Bowl and Shrine Game are in danger of seeing their stock fall at the Combine? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, one guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing is Kazir White out of Western um, West Virginia. He was a guy who I came in thinking maybe he could be a top 75 talent. I'm sold he is a top 75 talent. When you were watching him play, he was phenomenal playing in that box kind of safety role kind of kind of position. I think that he fits a strong safety, especially in a lot of these new three seats three scheme sets. I definitely think that he could earn a lot of, a lot of hype for him. Alex Kappa is another guy from Humboldt state who I think you really have to look after. One thing that I've been hearing a lot more about is teams as much as impressed they were with him down in mobile. They actually are looking at him to possibly play a right guard in the NFL instead of a left tackle, which in my opinion, I think that he's a better right tackle than a left tackle, but I still think he has the size to be a tackle. So I think he could really prove especially in the vertical drills and the agility drills and the ability to can to, to have that containment on the outside 
to prove that he could be a tackle uh, in the NFL for sure. Deshaun Hand out of Alabama is a guy who you're going to have to look for. This is still a player who no one really knows where he fits yet. He played in a 3-4 scheme under both Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt, but he played in multiple different positions as a 3, a 9, and a 0 technique at Alabama. So seeing him kind of work in those drills as an edge guy, as a guy, as a defensive lineman, as that 5 technique, we're really going to be able to figure out where he fits and then at that point, we can kind of figure out what round he fits in. But a guy that I'm really, really want to look forward to seeing, uh, mainly, mainly it's because of I played the position when I was in high school. Uh, you know, I was used to it. It's going to be Trayvon Henderson out of Hawaii. This kid was the one who walked away, in my opinion, with one of the most to gain just by his cover skills more so than anything else. If you're looking for a ball hawking free safety who can probably play over the top in most cover one schemes and be able to go one-on-one against your speedy receiver, Henderson showed that down in Mobile. And I definitely think he has a lot to prove at this combine. I think that he is a guy to really look out for. Trayvon Henderson did impress a lot of people down in Mobile, indeed. And now let's play one of our favorite games that I like to play here on Sports Crunch. It is called Buy or Sell. And in this game, I will tell you some of the buzz that's going around pre-combine and whether you buy or sell the hype. And let's start with this. Boise State linebacker Leeton Vanderesh, who has drawn some comparisons in scouting circles to Hall of Famer Brian Erlacher, will end up being a first-round pick should he test as athletically and freakishly as expected. You know, I'm going to sell that one. Linebackers right now are kind of a risky position to go after. And when I've I've turned on the tape, there's two linebackers I am sold on being first-round picks. And a third, if he can actually remain healthy. And those would be right now Tremaine Edmonds out of Virginia Tech, Roquan Smith out of Georgia, and Rashawn Evans out of Alabama. Look, I like all three of these guys. And Leighton uh, Van Der Esch actually comes in as my linebacker number four. But I just think that there are too many other positions to address way too early on. The one one thing that I've heard from a scout in recent past is that if you can build your line on both sides and have depth at both sides of the lines, you are going to succeed in the NFL. And I think that you've seen that, especially with teams like the Patriots and teams like the Eagles, who have done a fantastic job with their lines. I like Van Der Esch. I do think that he could be a round one type player, but I expect him to go day two, no matter how he tests. Very interesting take there, Cole, and definitely agree about the Eagles and Patriots and the importance of trenches play in the National Football League, as my good friend Nick Kendall, who I found on the program numerous times before, would uh, attest to. And here's the second part of our buy or sell game. Florida State safety Derwin James, who started the 2017 season off slow as he was coming back from injury, but it was recently discovered by more film study that he finished the 2017 strong and arguably regained pre-injury form, will end up being a top 10 to 15 pick should he blow the roof off on the field and his medicals come back clean. I'll buy that, actually, because when I remember watching film on him, I had the argument with myself more so, who is the top safety in this class? Is it Minka Fitzpatrick out of Alabama or is it Derwin James? Now, then again, I think that I also put Minka in a little bit of a different category as just a straight defensive back because I think no matter where you play him in the NFL, he will succeed, whether that be a slot cornerback or a safety. But Derwin James has everything you really want in a day one starting free safety in a base cover two, cover four scheme. He has ball skills. He can play in coverage. He isn't afraid to tackle. And he did come on strong at the very end of the season. Plus, you also got to remember, coming off a major injury like he did after his sophomore year, 
is something to take notice of to start his year off. But once he was able to kind of finally put the weight back on, show that he was fully healthy, not be afraid to, you know, re-injure his lower half of his body, he was one of the better players in the NFL. And if he can test well, especially in the 40 time and in the agility drills and in cover drills, I have no doubt that the latest he will go is 17 to the Los Angeles Chargers. When you think about what Los Angeles, how many people mocked Malik Hooker last year at seven to Los Angeles, and they ended up taking Mike Williams, it's kind of insane that Derwin James isn't in that same type of comparison, no matter the season he had. I think if he tests really well enough, we could see him probably go, maybe I wouldn't say top 10, but I think the his, his floor for sure is definitely going to be uh, more than likely Cincinnati at pick number 12 could be an interesting pick or a team trades up for him. I could definitely see a team who is in need of a safety and maybe has a little bit of extra room because of the draft, probably go up and try and get a guy like him. He has everything you want in a starting caliber safety week one of the 2018 NFL season, in my opinion. And for the record, I did indeed mock Derwin James to the Chargers in my first mock, which you could see on our website at sportscrunch.com in our blog section. And a lot of those mock drafts will be coming your way as soon as this uh, free agency picture clears up. But I will have more content on that blog coming your way in the next week or so about the combine. And the third part of our buy or sell game. Louisiana State cornerback Dante Jackson will set a new combine record for fastest 40-yard dash time. He's been testing at 4.24, according to some sources, and John Ross ran it in 4.22 seconds last year. And he will be a first-round pick as a result, buy or sell. I'm going to go half and half on this. I actually am going to buy that he is going to break the record. Look, it's, it's something that people watch every single year. I mean, the most probably watch co- part of the combine is watching skill players, especially wide receivers and cornerbacks, run and try and beat the record. Chris Johnson had it, and then John Ross had it. Now, a lot of people also wondered what happened with John Ross because of as soon as he broke that record, he also hurt his hamstring right after, and he hasn't really been the same since. Jackson, I think, is a more fluent, and also he gets out of his break faster as a sprinter. So I do think he is going to break it. But just because you have speed does not make you automatically a first-round pick. If I have to elude it even more. Hi, John Ross. You were the ninth overall pick and you played in a total of, I think, 15 snaps, if I'm not mistaken, this past year. And the one play that you actually were very much involved in, you fumbled and it almost cost you a touchdown by Jadavian Clowney running it back 35 yards. Speed isn't everything. And while I do think Dante Jackson is a very good cornerback that people have not spoken a lot about, he will not be a first round pick. You can't just rely on speed. You have to rely on skill to go with it. And when I'm looking at some of these cornerbacks, guys like Mike Hughes out of UCF who have legal troubles and have been in trouble with the law and haven't been the best record type of guys are more fluent and more complete cornerbacks that I would trust to start day one over a guy like Jackson, guys like Denzel Ward, uh, even a guy uh, possibly like MJ Stewart, I think has a better chance of possibly going if he tests the exact same minus the speed, because we've seen all that. If speed is the only reason why Dante Jackson's going in the first round, then a team could be swinging for the fences and either missing completely or not. Now, if there is one team that can take that risk, it's Buffalo, because Buffalo could be losing EJ Gaines, and they have two first-round picks back-to-back at 21 and 22. 
And if they feel comfortable and somehow are able to get a quarterback without giving up those first two picks, why not go for a cornerback? You went for it last year with another guy from LSU named Jadavius White. And in my opinion, he was the best rookie cornerback outside of Marshawn Lattimore this entire year. But I don't think that we will see him go around one. But he will break the record. And before we continue with our buy or sell game here, let me take a little detour. You bring up an excellent point about speed and the 40-yard dash in particular. I kind of have a feeling that the 40-yard dash, yes, as you said, it is the most uh, watched uh, drill at the Combine on television. But um, I've always felt, after doing research in recent years, that the 40-time for wide receivers especially can be extremely overrated. Like, Jerry Rice just almost ran a 4-6, and he's arguably the best wide receiver of all time. Antonio Brown ran in the 4-5s, and he is the best wide receiver in the NFL today. And uh, some examples from the draft, you mentioned John Ross last year. He did almost nothing his rookie year. And uh, a guy who I would I like to use as an example in this context is Cody Latimer. Cody Latimer shot up draft boards in that 2014 wide receiver heavy class. Uh, because he ran a quick 40 at the combine and uh, at, at that plus some of his the highlight reel grabs he showed on film shot his draft stock up but his lack of a subtle route running um, is what uh, killed him in the National Football League um, so it's not just the, the straight line you run and how fast you run the straight line especially if you're a wide receiver you have to run a lot more shapes and cuts and breaks and all that stuff I think the 40 is kind of overrated for wide receivers and for cornerbacks in a way too because you have to because I think hip fluidity and how you're able to turn and run is more important than just running in a straight line what do you think I definitely agree with that I mean here's one dude that I will give you right now the guy who I picked I believe it was two years ago to be the number one guy to actually go out and win that year's 40 combine was Colby Listenby, who ended up getting up being a fifth uh, overall overall pick by the Buffalo Bills, if I'm not mistaken. He's not even in the league anymore. Speed can go get, get, you, get you so far in life, but at the same time, you have to remember, it's about making cuts, making double moves, being able to find ways to get open, being able to be a complete route runner, using your hands, what you can do with the ball after the catch. It's nice if you are only going to be used as that straight line target. But think of it as like a James White situation. 95% of the time that James White is in the backfield for the New England Patriots, you know it's a passing play. And more importantly, you know where the ball is going, probably on a swing route left or right to James White because of what he can do after the catch. It's the exact same thing for a guy like John Ross, who if next year he still can't prove that he can remain healthy and he can be a special type of player, which I do think he can be. But unfortunately, the NFL has not seen that yet. But if he's only known for his straight speed, you know, A, where's Andy Dalton throwing every single play and B, what route he's running. It's a lot more important nowadays, I think, to look at not just how fast someone is with a 40-yard dash, but also what they can do with the ball in their hands. And that is why I actually like the gauntlet drill as the most important drill for any wide receiver than any other drill out there. Preach, Father Cole Thompson. Preach, Father Cole Thompson. That's all I can say, brother. And before we move on to our final two topics, we have one more element of our buy or sell game remaining, and here it is. North Carolina State defensive lineman Kentavious Street will run the 40 in the four sixes at only 285 pounds and will be a day two pick as a result. Buy or sell? You know, I'm actually going to have to deny this one. I have not watched enough tape on him yet to understand, uh, even if he can. But I will say, if he's able to run it that fast, I would take him as a day two pick. Any defensive lineman who can run it close to the speed of a slower 
bigger wide receiver is probably worth a chance of at least trying to build off of. You can always put weight on a guy. You can always put, you know, you can always take weight off a guy, depending on defenses nowadays, uh, mainly because of four, three, de- three, four defenses. A lot of defensive tackles that you would see as three techniques in a four, three are now playing fives on the outside. Take a guy like Chris Wormley playing a five in, in Baltimore, where he was probably be playing a three technique in a, in a defense such as Buffalo. So I can't really say any of that, but I will say it's a lot easier for you to take a chance on a guy with that much speed if he's that fast with that much weight on him and just find a position for him in the NFL. But honestly, I haven't watched enough tape on him to tell you anything about him. Thank you very much there, Cole. And now let's move on to our second to last topic here. Uh, As I mentioned, there are 336 prospects that have been invited uh, to Indianapolis for next week's uh, combine. But uh, it is fair to expect that at least 100 of them won't even get drafted. And 30 players or more who did not get invited to the combine will get drafted. So who were the biggest combine snubs in your view? Ooh, that's actually tough. I have not even paid attention to it. I actually haven't even paid attention to all the actual combine snubs. What I will say, though, is it is nice to see a guy like Shaquem Griffin actually get that chance. Unfortunately, let me just go with this. Even with that chance, I still think he goes undrafted. Look, the kid is a very talented player, but this is something that I think that we need to bring up a little bit more into detail. As much as I respect the kid and how well he played, and you and I both saw him down, out in Mobile uh, and how he handled himself with the media and how he's handled himself since ever stepping foot in Orlando. He never once has compared himself to his brother. He's never once even tried to say, hey, look at me. Look at what I can do. I'm just here to help my team. Humble kid. Great attitude. But the NFL is a dangerous game in today's society. And for a guy who only has one hand, even if he gets to show off, I still think he is a risk to take at any single level. So he is actually a guy who I'm thankful got the invite, but I still think that even if he impresses all across the board, we will see him either be a round seven pick or a priority free agent. I am hoping uh, the NFL proves me wrong on Shaquem Griffith there because uh, Shaquem has beaten the odds, overcoming that birth defect where he had to lose his head. And plus he is just super athletic. And as you mentioned, such an amazing kid. I remember I was at the opening press conference uh, at the senior bowl and I asked him, uh, would, is there any piece of advice you would give kids with any type of disability? And he responded with a quote, you can frame on your wall for a lifetime. He said, it's not a disability unless you make it one. And if the NFL, if you pass this guy over, I have a gut feeling you are going to regret it in any way, shape, or form because whatever this guy does in the NFL, if he, whether he's an elite special teamer or, or a situational pass rusher, he's going to make an impact in a very positive way for an NFL team that will make the difference on Sundays. And you just, uh, you're going to regret an NFL if you pass this guy over. That's all I can say. Oh, I definitely agree, and I definitely think that what he exactly said, I was at the same press conference, I, I remember that exactly, and that's something that I honestly can't help but live by. You only make it a disability when you make it a disability. It's not a disability if you don't try, and there are many people out there and many young adults out there who could look up to a guy like Griffin, and this is something that I think the NFL truly needs right now is a guy who is not the one getting in trouble with the law, not the one who's we're hearing about these sexual assault cases with. We're not hearing about any of those things. We're seeing a kid who has been given a horrible and excuse my unfortunately pun, a whore dealt a horrible hand. 
and has made the most of his situation and succeeded at the most of his situation. And I definitely agree with you. Even if he isn't anything more than just a great special teams player or a situational pass rusher, this is a guy who I do think is going to eventually find his way onto a roster. I just don't know if it will be him hearing his name get called by an NFL team. I definitely think that there will be a team that will take a chance on him, bring him out, at least a training camp. I know for a fact that that he impressed down in Mobile. You saw it. I saw it. We saw everything together. So a team like the Houston Texans or the Denver Broncos, who both run a similar style of defense, could take a chance on him and just see where he, where it goes from there in free agency. But he is a type of guy that we need to see in the NFL more so than all these other big-name you know players who we keep seeing getting in trouble. And not just that. He also is going to be an inspiration for so many young kids out there who have, you know, these mental issues, who have these issues that we consider disabilities, but really aren't disabilities. They're just, they're going to have to work twice as hard. But guess what? Griffin has proven that. And that is something that I think needs to be in the NFL, not just for our sake, but for their sake. It is. And and I've always and I've always said this. My grandfather taught me this when I was really young. It's always left in the hands of the next generation. Shaquem Griffin can be the face for the next generation of an up and coming group of kids who can no longer blame disabilities. Instead, just look at it as an advantage to where I can prove someone wrong. And that is something that I firmly stand by. And if I am an NFL GM, that exact quote is why I draft him no matter what round. Wow, Cole. Wow. I would seriously take that snippet of what you just said and email it to all 32 teams right away tonight if I could, man. You just uh, you just put it in a way that none of us can put it, man. And once again, he is Cole Thompson, ladies and gentlemen, of DraftWire.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. And Cole, thank you so much once again for joining us today. And we hope to have you on the program again in the very near future. But before we let you go, we have uh, one more uh, topic to discuss. Um, who are some of your major sleepers at each position that could get a lot of positive buzz with the solid week in Indy? And let's start with quarterback. You know, quarterback, I'm going to keep on going with the guy that I've been kind of going with for a little bit. Kyle Laletta out of Richmond. Everything I saw from him was proven down in Mobile. He has an arm. He has accuracy. Not just that, he also knows how to read an offense. He knows how to command an offense. He knows how to contain his players and more importantly and this is something that I also heard a lot about Mitchell Trubisky this past year he calls his players in the huddle and he demands I break the huddle he is a leader and if he can prove to have the touch the poise and the accuracy I know Ben slow uh Benjamin Slovak out of NDT scouting and I have been really high on this kid for a little while but I could definitely see him being a Jimmy Garoppolo s type player probably a late day two pickup for sure and Peter King compared his uh, measurables to Jimmy Garoppolo's in his uh, MMQB column this past Monday. And how about it, running back? Ooh, running back's a tough one. You know, with that, um, I'm actually going to go. I'm still going to go with Sony Michelle. You know what I think? I th- this kid is a strong runner, and the biggest thing that people aren't giving him enough credit for is I've started hearing a lot of comparisons of Alvin Kamara, but a lot of people are saying that he's an east to west runner. When you watch him, he may not look the whole 220 pounds, but this kid moves like he's 190 with great power inside as a gap runner. I could definitely see him showing off that speed. Not just that, here's something that he does better than Nick Chubb, the star running back of Georgia. 
He's a better pass blocker. And in today's day and age, with the NFL turning into such a pass-heavy league, I would actually take a guy like Michelle either at the start of round two before I would take a guy like Nick Chubb, who has his issues catching the ball and also in pass protection. Chubb, Sonny Michelle to me right now might be one of the better pass protection running backs in the league. And for any team that has an aging quarterback or a quarterback issue where they're a team like possibly even the Houston Texans who don't need a running back really, but have a running back coming off of a major injury, getting a guy like Michelle back there could be a major factor to helping their offense succeed. Oh, Deshaun Watson would definitely love Sony Michelle there. I completely agree. How about wide receiver? Going to go with my big boy, Marcel Aitman out of Oklahoma State. Look, when you have that size and when you have that thunder and when you have that power, you may be a limited receiver. Yes, Marcel Aitman, in my opinion, is only going to be that X receiver on the outside, probably used in, in post routes, crossing routes and stuff, and red zone routes. But when you think about this, this kid is six foot four and 220 pounds of pure lean muscle, and he has good hands. The biggest issue with him is probably moving after the ball. So while he probably won't be this guy who you see in the NFL setting records with 100 and 110 catches a year, those 40 catches, think of Kenny Galladay and how he started out last year in preseason and at the start of the season before he got hurt. Big red zone target, big, huge advantage for any team looking to add some bit, some bit, of, some bit of a threat in the red zone. I expect this guy to probably be an 8-10 to 10 touchdown receiving type of guy with maybe only 30 catches a year. His big body, he was the thunder to James Washington's lightning, and you're going to see the thunder really explode, I think, out in Indianapolis. How about tight end? Who's your sleeper there for the combine? You know, for me, I'm going to go Ian Thomas. He did have the best week coming out of Indiana, but one thing that I really noticed about him is when I'm watching him play, he, in my opinion, was the best blocking tight end down in Mobile. And that's the thing that I really like is when you can have a tight end who can do a lot of both. Think of a guy like Michael uh, Michael Roberts out of uh, Detroit Lions last year. He's a guy who's more so known for his blocking rather than his actual big body, uh, big body frame. And he still can catch the ball. I think last year, if I remember correctly, in the Big Ten, he averaged like 13.3 yards a catch. So he isn't going to be a guy who you use a lot in passing formations, but if you're able to, if you're a team that needs to start using your running game, a team like Houston, who probably needs to take some pressure off of Deshaun Watson, or possibly even a team like Detroit, who might want to move on from a guy such as Eric Ebron, you get those two tight ends and open up a running game. He is going to be that kind of guy you want. And if that's the type of offensive style you like to run, Ian Thomas is your guy. Offensive tackle. Who do you got? Ooh, offensive tackle. That's a tough one. I'm I'm still going to go Alex Kappa. Look, I know that people have been, you know, kind of talking him up, but I do think that Alex Kappa could end up being a top 75 pick if he shows it off. Look, the biggest thing about him is how light he is on his feet and his balance and more importantly, his ability to have concentration. You can't teach concentration when a guy's able to try and make a blocking move on the inside against you, he is able to keep him in front of him and pile drive him back. I like Alex Kappa a lot, and I definitely think that he won't be a left tackle in the NFL, but as a right tackle, he could honestly make a huge difference for any offensive line. Speaking of offensive line, let's go to the interior offensive line. Which guard or center do you think uh, is flying under the radar and could get a big bump out of Indy? No, this is an easy one. It's Frank Ragnow out of Arkansas. This kid 
has not been able to show up because of a late injury. But I think that everything that you see in the film, even if he can't show up in his best at Indy, he still is arguably, I think, one of the top five interior offensive linemen to look at. Just the way he moves his body, the way he's able to get the ball off the snap as quick as anything. And more importantly, how he's able to take on solo blocks. Think of Ryan Kelly when you think of Frank Ragnow, how he was able to take on solo blocks in three, four defensive schemes and pile drive and open up wide running lanes for his backfield. I definitely think that if he can, if he can be healthy, he's going to be a top guy to look for somewhere in the middle of day two, whether that be end of round two, early round three. But centers are maybe not the sexiest pick, but I definitely think he is one of the more polished centers to look forward to going into the actual draft. And we could see two centers in the first round this year, and the center and guard are becoming increasingly important positions, as uh, I learned uh, down in Mobile. And let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Who is your sleeper edge rusher for the Combine? Ooh, sleeper edge rusher is a tough one. Mm. You know what? I'm going to go Marquise Haynes out of Mississippi, uh, out of Ole Miss. This is a guy who comes in, I think, at about 6'6". Uh, he kind of measures a little bit under Lorenzo Carter's size, but he has the pass moves. And he has the ability to swat and swim under. I think that he's not going to be your average. He's going to be a situational sack, uh, sack artist. I guess the best way I would put it would be think of a Tim Williams type of player. You're not going to see him play every three downs, but when you do know he's in, he's in for a reason, and he's able to cause drama and cause production. I think he could be a major factor to any team looking to up their defense. Now, the biggest issue is, is he going to be able to test like a Tim Williams where he's only going to be able to play that three, four outside linebacker, or could he possibly test like a Carl Lawson who could play a four, three defensive end, a three, four outside linebacker, a four, a four, three outside linebacker. That's where we're going to really see Marquise Haynes really shine. But if he can do that, this guy has all the talent in the world to be a very excellent pass rusher in the NFL. Who is your sleeper defensive lineman coming out of Indy? I'm going to go with Deshaun Hand. I have to. It's not just because I went to Alabama. It's not just because of my love for my college. It's because the kid honestly has the skill set to be a top premier talent. You don't get a talent like him coming to Alabama and having all this hype around him and then be caught in a pile of situations where he has been caught behind guys such as Deron Payne, uh, Sean Robinson, Jonathan Allen. I mean, the list goes on and on. Dalvin Tomlinson. I mean, there's a reason why we haven't heard Deshaun Hand's name spoken enough about. And it's not just because of injury. It's because of look at who was sitting in front of him and look at where most of those guys went. Top 50, top 60 picks. If this is the type of, if this is the type of talent that we could see play his butt off, as a five technique or possibly a three technique in the right scheme, he could be one of those players who you question how in the heck did he even make it this far in the draft? I forgive me, Cole, for not mentioning in our intro that you are indeed a graduate of the University of Alabama Roll Tide Roll. And yes, sir, uh, let's roll tide. go. Yes, and uh, now let's go to another position that Alabama has been blessed with over the years, linebacker. Who is your sleeper linebacker heading into the combine? Uh, well, I'm not going to go Sean Deion Hamilton because of a, I, apparently we're not sure if he's going to test or how he's going to test. Give me Josie Jewell out of Iowa. I love this kid. This kid is the type of production linebacker who I think that you're going to get. I uh, think of like a Nick Katowski out of, I guess uh, uh, Chicago would be a good way to put it. This is a big guy who's going to put up 130, 135 tackles a year. Solid guy. 
Yes, I think he might be limited. He might have to play in only a in a four three Mike scheme. But this guy is an excellent run stopper. He has a little bit of issues issues in coverage. But if you're looking for a downhill thumper just to come in and make a play, probably on the late day two, early day three. Josie Jewell is a guy who is going to be a starter in the NFL. And if not a starter in the NFL, a consistent contributor throughout his entire career in the NFL. Guys like Josie Jewell, if they can remain healthy, have careers as long as we've seen guys such as Clay Matthews, Brian Cushing, Brian Urlacher. That is the type of guy Josie Jewell has. And he's not a character issue either. So I definitely think that if he tests well, he could be an excellent starting middle linebacker for any team. Yes, and he'll be following the footsteps of another Iowa Hawkeye who recently retired, Chad Greenway. I think he could be the next incarnation of Chad Greenway at the very, very least. And who is your sleeper cornerback headed into the Combine? Oh, this is no secret. Um, You know, as much as I did go to Alabama, I do have to root for all teams in the SEC. I got to go with Carlton Davis out of Auburn. This is my favorite cornerback in the entire draft class outside of Isaiah Oliver, who is my cornerback one. If you like press cover corners, this is the guy that you want. There was a quote that I even got from a former scout who works at Auburn, who even said, in practice, Jared Sidham was afraid to throw the ball towards Carlton Davis's side just because of he knew how well he was. His first step is phenomenal. His ability to maintain uh, leverage on his cor- like on his receiver is great in the air. He's not a big interception guy, but big in pass deflections. Carlton Davis. In any other year that you weren't hearing about guys such as Denzel Ward or Joshua Jackson having that eight interception year is a lock first round cornerback. That is how good this kid is. I have him already ranked on my board, I think at 37, and he might even be higher by the time this is all said and done. And I might start even mocking him in the first round. I like this kid a lot. This kid is the physical definition of press corner. And if you like the Legion of Boom in Seattle, that is where I think he is going to shine if somehow he makes it to them on round two. Heck, the Seahawks could draft him in round one if the com- if he does well at the Combine and if they do indeed trade uh, Richard Sherman. And last but not least, your sleeper safety for the Combine. Uh, my favorite position of all. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit just because if I really just want to name two guys. One, I got to go with Justin Reed out of Stanford. I think he is a very good safety. I think that he has good cover skills, and I think that he definitely has the ability to come down and play a little bit in the box and be an all-around player. But my guy, my guy who I go to the war room and fight for in round one, it is Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama. Look, his cover skills deep. Are not are not great. It, it, it's it's atrocious. But if you're looking for a zone guy who is able to play against running backs, against tight ends, be able to play in zone coverage and be phenomenal, and more importantly, lay the thunder and the hit that you want to make sure if you're a running back, you stay the heck away from. Ronnie Harrison is the guy. He has been that leader since he arrived at Alabama. I remember when I was still a student at Alabama doing interviews he even said I want to be known as one of the best safeties who's ever walked into this campus at 18 years old and he's very much proved that since being a starter after last year finishing up with I think it was five interceptions and then this past season I think he had three interceptions this kid is the real deal he is a round one talent and he is a day one starter for any team needing that strong safety who can play in a zone coverage but also be in this new hybrid box coming down and laying the hammer in the middle. 
He is Cole Thompson, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work at DraftWire.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson. This guy has football in his DNA. He played the game in high school. He's a graduate of the University of Alabama's five, six-time national champions. Forgive me if I got that wrong, Cole. Uh, This past decade uh, I met, they probably won more in the past. And uh, as you can see, Cole, he's one of the best guys out there to talk football with. And it's a bit of pleasure having you on the program again. And we hope to have you on again in the very, very near future. Thank you for coming on today, Cole. Hey, thanks, Dave, for having me on. It was really fun talking to you. And always just remember, follow Dave, guys. He's a great guy. He knows what he's talking about. I promise you it's a good podcast to listen to. Always, always a pleasure. Come on, Dave. Pleasure is all ours, Cole. Thank you very much. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. But our Dash to the Draft series continues next week as the 2018 NFL Scouting Combine unfolds, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive, including all the interviews I conducted at the Senior Bowl, including some with Cole, as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Cole, especially since there's never, never an off-season for talking football. For Cole Thompson, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long and, of course, stay awesome. Stay awesome.